welcome back to another edition of The Bull and the Badger. I'm Vanessa the Badger. And I'm April the Bull. Um, just wanted to say hello again to our listeners and thanks for tuning in again. For some reason, I think this is live radio and I'm doing it that way, but let's let's just go with that. Um, I wanted to quickly uh, just intro myself, uh, Vanessa, the director of The Laundromat, which is how April and I, April and I have known each other for years and years and years, but um, when we got together to do the Laundromat movie, which is my documentary about um, Asian American mental health issues and how families relate to each other, uh, we sat down and found that we could talk and talk for days about these kinds of things. And so that's where the bull and the badger came from. Um, but it was definitely April's brainchild, the bull. Go ahead. I'm the bull. <laughs> Again. I don't know how much more you want to talk about um, the laundromat and the inception of the podcast, but what I realized, and I just told Vanessa, is that for every episode, we always talk about the film, The Laundromat, but um, we don't haven't actually told people how they can watch it or at least see clips from the trailer. So can you let people know, Vanessa? Sure, April. Um, So I have been slowly rolling out the film and sh like just submitting it to film festivals. But, but right now I am doing um, screenings at uh, colleges and universities and advocacy groups and places that just want to see the film and, you know, um, have a create a space to talk about Asian American mental health um, in just like new and dynamic ways. And um, where you can visit the trailer and just find out more about the film is at thelaundromat.com. That's A-T-T-H-E, laundromat.com. And uh, April actually is a big content contributor there. And w one of the main focuses foci of our uh, website is just the stories that are there so check it out if you get a chance at thelaundromat.com it's a franchise you guys it's a documentary it's a website and now it's a podcast it might be a blog depending on whether or not I'm lazy and actually feel like writing but um, a big part of it was that I like to be around people I don't want to be stuck behind the computer and I like to have conversations and talk and joke and and uh, challenge ourselves when we think about mental health in our community. Okay, does that sound good? Is that, uh, I think we took care of all the stuff. So today's topic is, what did you want to be when you grow up? And uh, we're kind of cheating because we're, we're a tiny bit grown up. Um, <laughs> sitting here, I hope we don't mind me saying that we are 30 years old or 31 years old around that, that um <laughs> 29 forever. <laughs> 29 forever. And um, so we kind of have figured out, at least at this point, sort of what we want to be when we grow up. But of course, I want to talk about um, the subhead of this, this topic is um, the road every Asian embarks on to become a doctor. And when that dream died. <laughs> Best subheading ever. So what did you want to be, Vanessa? I, I, you said that you had an anecdote. I have like a couple. It's weird because, um, you know, like you're always asked as a kid what you want to be when you grow up. And it's it's a weird thing because, of course, you have no idea, but you're supposed to be allowed to like dream big. But for some reason, okay, so everybody's assignment was like, 
I want to be blank when I grow up, right? And so you draw a picture of that thing. And then I like, I went through all these like iterations. I think one was like astronaut. One might've been like farmer. I don't know. Crazy things, (laughs) crazy things, right? And then I finally settled on banker. (laughs) Is that not awful? Like I was like, if my vast imagination- How old were you? uh, It was like maybe third grade. You wanted to be a banker, and th- did you know what a banker was? Yeah, maybe I'd seen like Mary Poppins. I was like, yes, I want to be one of those awful men in suits, like who are making lots of money. I don't know what in me was like, yes, that is the job for me. Because one, I was awful at math. Like even in the third grade, you know that you do those like timetables, and there's speed trials, right? I was like, I was like just shy of being like above average but then you know like all my friends were way ahead of me in like just simple arithmetic so I was like yes something in me wants to be a baker I don't know like there was that instance and then the other instance um that I'm like embarrassed to say like you had to do like career things like you had to like balance a checkbook and like they were trying to teach us practical skills in elementary third grade uh, it might have been fourth grade at this point. Thanks, wow. thanks, Arcadia School District. I did not do that. You did in not balance your checkbook no. in third grade. God, no. we played the recorder. Okay, I did that too. But <laughs> you know, we we're like playing five different instruments at that point. Oh, no, 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 no. It definitely wasn't like that. But w- what we did do um, was look through classifieds and <laughs> yeah, what and, and then did you find find maybe this was like fifth or sixth grade by this point. But no, it de- definitely wasn't middle school. It was definitely elementary. We we're supposed to like snip out the classifieds and say based on that, that's how much you make per year. And then that's what your standard of living is. And then try and go buy a house. And like, this is like, it was crazy. It was very like, and now plan out your life. It wasn't like plan out your life, but like, this is what your life would be if you chose like a specific career. And so everybody was finding these amazing jobs. And I was like, no, I had to find something often awesome, but it has to be different. It just, it has to be, but it has to be practical for some reason. So you know what I, I found? What? Like jeweler. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like way off mic laughing. <laughs> like there was a classifieds ad for like the people who place the jewels into like, like the, the settings, the settings. Uh-huh. And like these people made bank. And I was like, well, that's different. You know, like I'm not going to be a doctor. I'm going to be a, a jeweler. And like, so I cut out this classified ad and then you like create your life around that. And it was just like, I, I don't know. Like I was drawing horses really. And like those times I was like drawing horses and like, <laughs> I was I had this whole series of like mice with like medieval gear. Okay, like this story is running off the rails. But my point is is that I was like jeweler, horses, mice, <laughs> medieval mice. We're just trying to hit all the quadrants of like people who like to listen to podcasts. So there are mice lovers out there. They're just like dying to hear this story. But my whole point is that I had this like fantastic fantastic imagination if i do say so myself but like i still went and found something that would like be successful like like financially successful and okay i'm understanding the point of this now you are a very creative whimsical child and yet you when tasked with finding a correct uh, profession you decided something very practical yeah it was like crazy like okay. who I hope that clears things up because I did not know where this was going <laughs> I was like oh Vanessa's getting into this crazy like word association game okay you know mice banking 
so similar. Oh, wait, so okay, did so you tell your parents about your your plans? I, I don't think so. I, I think they were just like assignments and you just get through it. And But for some reason, I just remember that very clearly because it was so... It like doesn't jar with the rest of what I my memories of my childhood are. I wasn't like off there like then studying gems. Do you know what I'm saying? Like it just never turned into anything. So 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 what about for you, April? What did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, uh, I mean, I I I stand by my subhead for this topic, which is we all wanted to be doctors, <laughs> or maybe not Vanessa. Vanessa wanted to be a banker. But um, for life. I definitely I think I didn't even know what a doctor was, but I definitely knew that I needed to be it. And um, I remember I don't know if you guys did this, but in fifth grade, when we were like graduating elementary school, they asked us to write a little blurb of what we wanted for our future. And for mine, I said that I wanted to be a doctor. I wanted to own a Mercedes, like all this stuff that like, I didn't even know if I knew what these things were, but these were the aspirations that like my family put forth for me. Um, and, uh, that dream died pretty quickly, pretty quickly. I would have to say like most definitely by 10th grade, because that's when we took AP bio and, um, the great ruiner of all high school children. And I, made you know you do a lot of lab work not a lot every now and then in ap bio we did lab work you know doing um experiments with like osmosis and like potatoes and stuff like that i studied for the test i don't know what you're talking about (laughs) and um i straight up fabricated my findings (laughs) I, i figured out what other people's averages were and then i just picked numbers around that average and then wrote up my lab report with that information so i don't think i would make it yeah no one would want me in charge of their life <laughs> maybe you should have actually gone into banking because you're great with numbers i don't i don't know it's yeah just... maybe just become a money launderer or something <laughs> like that <laughs> no i don't know if that would have worked either 10 times better than being a doctor That's but um well, you know, obviously Vanessa has become a filmmaker and she works in the film and television industry. So she's a bit far from jeweler slash banker. And I am an editor and um, a magazine editor. And, uh, you know, I'm not saving anybody's life. I just watch Grey's Anatomy and ER and Scrubs. I really do love medical shows and I love just being in hospitals. It's very like, I think maybe because my mom was a nurse growing up and it was always a treat to go with her to work and get the little like little half cans of Coke and sit in a room, an empty room. (laughs) See, like my worry scale like went up as soon as she said, I like to be in hospitals. And then I was like, oh, she's she's like being a nurse. And then you said small cans of Coke and empty rooms. (laughs) And suddenly my worry went up again. (laughs) Like. Well, I don't know, that's like... Well, you have to understand, like, back then, they don't sell the little Cokes that they sell now. Like, seeing a little Coke like that, amazing. <laughs> it's like seeing, like, a leprechaun. But you get to drink the leprechaun. <laughs> and with that, let's introduce <laughs> our special guest. Sorry, I just laughed all over that. I couldn't help it. She is a licensed clinical social worker with just so many credentials, you guys. I won't name them all, but she does. Well, let's say that she went to, she got her um, bachelor's at UCLA and then became a trader. 
and got her master's at USC and uh, boo. boo Bruins and uh, dive. and uh, I think that's about it that's all I should say I'll let her speak for herself our guest is Anita Kwan hi quite the welcome thank you we're gonna we're gonna insert like horns and stuff. Like, Where are the horns? <laughs> Still I, waiting. Did well, you feel like a traitor? Um, yeah, I was I was made to feel like a traitor because that's the, what everybody points out when I tell them that I went to <laughs> USC. But my heart is I have to not just because you guys are sitting in front of me, but sincerely, my heart is with UCLA. Really? It is way better school than USC. Yay! Yeah. It's on the record. <laughs> I really like. I never went to one game at Neither UCLA, did I. but whenever I see like USC plates, you know, like license plate holders or like paraphernalia around, like I get pissed. <laughs> <laughs> Some just innate like thing comes up, rises in you. I have to like stop myself from keying their car, <laughs> especially if it's a Beamer. I'm like, yeah, that's right. I'm gonna drive my Honda Civic. <laughs> My 97 Honda Civic around with my UCLA alumni, you know, like proud like, of it. Yeah, and actually, I didn't become a Bruin until grad school. Um, but my mom is she's uh, house divided as well. Actually, my oh. dad too, because they both went to UCs. My mom specifically UCLA, and then they both did USC grad school. <sighs> a lot of people take that route. <laughs> a lot of people take that route, but yes, I'm sure it's not at all um, rare. So. Okay, um, did you relate, or what did you want to be when you grew up when you were a kid, Anita? Wait, can we can we talk about how Anita knows us first of all? Okay. Okay. Well, why don't you explain? Because you wanted to. <laughs> uh, no, I just. I was just gonna like pass it to Anita. Just oh, to, pass like, it to talk, me. Sure. Because actually, you two have known each other longer. Yeah. Why don't we compare? Who has a better memory? I bet Anita does. Oh, I have a horrible memory. Okay, well, I'm known for my horrible memory. Let's see. Let's see what you come up with. I have a pretty good one, actually. Yeah, so. Horrible memory, uh, High school? <laughs> uh-huh. It had to have been a class, because that's how... <laughs> <laughs> That's how we make friends, right? It's, it's very academically oriented Whatever. school we went to. April was slinging like AP bio rocks outside of the classroom and that's how you guys met. Not in the classroom, outside. Or maybe we were just like conniving to work together to like take those lab numbers from other people. I we were like that in that class. Were we in that class together? I don't think so. Okay. Mr. Wilkes, right? Well, yeah. nobody can forget Mr. Wilkes. Well, Vanessa sat behind me. And you have a really uh, good memory. eat our lunch in class. Yeah. <laughs> And then draw. And off by the way, that was second period. <laughs> we did not make say. it very far before we ate. Well, we ate Vanessa's lunch. Like I never brought lunch, but we just always ate Vanessa's lunch. Like we split her sandwiches that her mom made her. It was a coping mechanism. Yeah, exactly. Try to get through the class. Exactly. Understandable. Totally understandable. Do you remember what class it was? That oh we gosh, English class. No, no, I don't think so. What what English? Well, okay, I'll just... Yeah, you say what you remember, because I don't. What I remember is that we had Spanish together. Oh, with Sophomore who? Spanish together. Do you remember with who? Uh, Estrada. Oh. No. No, 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 no. The, no, no, no. It was a woman the second year. Our sophomore year was a woman. Is it, and she smoked? <laughs> was it that one? No. That was Professor Senora Roundtree. Oh yes, yes, who should yes. not be allowed to teach yeah. children. The end. <laughs> yeah. I don't remember what her name was, but um, anyways, we can let's get oh, back to the original question. Uh, what did you want to be when you grew up when you were a child? 
Um, it's a hard question to ask. <laughs> <laughs> I actually wanted to be a teacher for the longest time that I can remember. I wanted to be a teacher. Any special kind of teacher or just a teacher? Um, elementary school teacher. I didn't want to deal with teenagers uh-huh. and um, their, you know, stereotypical attitudes and egotism. I didn't want to deal with that. So I figured elementary school kids. And if you see me in person, you can tell I'm not exactly the biggest person in the room. And so <laughs> me, you know, standing like, you know, just shy of five feet in front of a classroom of 30 teenagers um, <laughs> that are all hormonal just did not sound like a good situation. Anita's a little chicken nugget. <laughs> She's adorable. I love how you use that as a term of endearment. I'll take it. I'll take what I can get. Well, what's weird about this situation is that, uh, so I think we're all in the like under 5'3 club. Is that correct? Awesome. Proud of it. I I guess. (laughs) Own it. You got to own it, Vanessa. You're right. I mean, like definitely I had struggles. Like I had like big feet, but then I was still short. (laughs) Like the doctor, like. When I was in middle school, they're like, "Oh yeah, you wear size eight, so you should be about, you know, you, you should, should get be there about five eight, and like I'm five one, <laughs> so I'm like just like plodding around like a hobbit and stuff like that. It's awful. You're just a big right angle. <laughs> Wait, math reference. I have sweaty hands. I can't touch anybody. I'm sorry. And if you notice, I'm constantly wiping my hands on my like dress, my cotton dress, and this little seat that I'm sitting on. Um. Did you ever, uh, did your parents support your wishes to be a teacher? Yeah, actually, I, um, my parents, I guess, don't fall under that stereotypical Asian parent, which is, you know, the, yeah, you can only be a, what is it, doctor, lawyer, engineer, and something, basically something in the medical field or lawyer or like engineer. I think those are only acceptable professions, right, that we grew up with. That's still true to this day. Still, still true to this day. Very, very much so. My parents were not like that at all, which um, I was really grateful for. But it is interesting how you still feel that pressure because everybody else's parents were like that. So everybody else, you know, was geared towards being a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer, which then makes me kind of feel like, oh, maybe is that what is that just what Asians do? Like, I, I kind of feel like I have to do that to fit the mold in a sense. Um, but my parents were very supportive. They they actually um, said just whatever I want to do was fine um, as long as it was something that would give back to the community. Um, my dad specifically just said just do not be a lawyer. Oh. Yeah. Um, and he, growing up, he really didn't have any restrictions on us in terms of what we could and couldn't be. Um, obviously, you know, had to be something legal and um, <laughs> and uh, not, you know, some sort of criminal mastermind. Um, but aside from that, again, no lawyer. Um, other than those two things, um, he was very, like, open and supportive of whatever. And money wasn't... Um, a thing for him you know we didn't have to make a certain figure but I know like family members or like cousins or like you know friends who um that is the, the home that they grew up in right. so my parents are actually really supportive of me and my choices and I didn't want to be a doctor because I didn't like blood and I think if you don't like blood you can't really be a doctor it just right. doesn't work out that way right. so um yeah, so I ended up deciding. I don't know how I came to like teaching. I guess because I, I liked, I always liked like playing with little kids. Yeah. When I grew up, mm-hmm. um, so that kind of fell into okay. Well, what job do you get to work with little kids, mm-hmm. um, without being a doctor or a nurse or you know pediatrician or whatever? And teacher just fell in line with that. That's interesting. I never really thought about like how I ch- like narrowed in on teaching. Yeah. Um, and funny that I don't do that 
at all. <laughs> and I didn't end up being a teacher. Um, well, you do work with children. I do. I work with children. I guess it's teaching in a different sense. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Teaching in a different sense, not in a classroom. So sense. what do you do? Can you explain what you do? Yeah. I work with um, um, at-risk children and their families. Um, yes, Vanessa? At-risk children. Describe. Oh. <laughs> at-risk children. Um, basically coming from like low socioeconomic status um, um, families and basically face a lot of barriers um, socially speaking, social welfare wise. Also um, language barriers or are those usually like family, like parents language barriers? Um, I think because they're like low socioeconomic families, they just inherently face a lot of barriers financially. And it could be language because I do work with a lot of um, families who are immigrants or just families who are not Caucasian, um, more like minority families. Um, so their um, kind of immigration status or their the language, the financial difficulties that they face, all of those things kind of come together and um, and kind of can put the kids at risk sometimes um so what does your day-to-day look like day-to-day uh I basically have um a caseload of my own and so I see these kids and they present with a variety of like mental health issues and um I do therapy so I just have therapy sessions back to back um mixed in with some required meetings for work um I also recently um started working with interns so I have a uh, master of social work interns that I work with and supervising them and providing them feedback on the cases that they have and the caseload that they have so it's a mix of of all that kind of stuff yeah it's a busy day I remember sitting in the dining hall with you one uh-huh. day in college and we were having dinner and you were telling me this story because you were working I guess you were an interning at that point too if that's the correct. It's always been working with, yeah, with, with yeah. kids. Was this in college? Yeah. Are you still like, okay. Yeah. And you were telling me the story about how kids are manipulative. <laughs> <laughs> and they still can be. <laughs> it doesn't change. It does not change. It does not change. I mean, kids are smart. Like, oh, yeah. Do you, Incredibly perceptive. And you have to sort of outsmart them. Like, do you, you got to use a lot of, like, mind jujitsu against children. <laughs> um... I'm interested to, to like, because I probably would have a different perspective of what causes that manipulation in kids now. Like, what do you remember me telling you about the kids being manipulative and my take on it? Because it probably is different now. I think I think there were two instances. I can't remember them exactly, but one of them um, was, like, dragging a chair across the floor or something like that and then, like, hit a little girl and then you saw and you got, you know, you were, like, talking to him about it and he just lied to your face or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> Oh, got lied to by a little kid, huh? (laughs) Definitely why I can't be a a high school teacher. Well, that's the interesting thing too, right? Like kids have no compunctions about like lying straight to your face. And like everyone's like, oh yeah, kids are like the most honest people alive. And I'm like, whatever. And then, and then, but then like if you were an adult and you did something like that, it wouldn't be like a lying straight to your face. You would definitely you would probably try to rationalize the behavior uh-huh. and justify it. I, I wonder where I that switch making, happens. I think that's making... A generalization. Yeah. I think there are plenty of people who, as adults, will lie to your face and not care about it. And there are plenty of kids who will feel very guilty about telling a lie or something like True. that. It, there's just such a... If they're caught. A range. But, I mean, I understand what you're saying is that, like, a lot of young kids 
just do it and um you know kind of has to like catch up with them with like the sort of you know quote moral ramifications of Mm -hmm. that and consequences I think if I were to like tell you the story and I'd probably give a different perspective and I would probably say if somebody if a kid lied to me I'd still say that's very manipulative act but I think I'd look at it from a much more um like more wider perspective and I, I I wouldn't necessarily say um, the kid is being manipulative. I would look at well, why? What? What? What kind of contributed to that in the environment? You know, what kind of family did that child grow up in, and um, what was modeled for this child in terms of what's appropriate about lying and not lying, and are there consequences that child if they lied to me now probably have some consequences? I probably call them out. I just called out a kid earlier this week about lying, and he was actually very, um, you know, he lied to my face, and then he kind of came out and and like ten minutes later kind of outed himself and so um on his own volition like he was like whoa yeah I think I don't know how it came up but I just said okay I gave him a couple of chances I said you know are you telling me the truth and and he said yeah I'm telling you the truth and I was a little kid and I said okay all right I'm just asking are you sure you know because the story didn't really add up and I was kind of just waiting for him to come out with it and um he ended up coming out and just saying well and you know how that story goes when kids start with that um so yeah I would look I guess I would look at it from a wider perspective now of, of when I I wouldn't say you know the kid is born manipulative I it's definitely I I believe it's a learned behavior yeah I would I would probably look at well what kind of family did that child right. grow up in can I ask really quickly mm-hmm. how you decided to get into um therapy or child therapy specifically because I mean like it's not that big a leap but it's definitely a switch like you have to like like you had to go to grad school to do that stuff and like you know like there's just a different path and it's a different I think burden on like you know what your responsibility is to the kid and stuff like that Mm -hmm. yeah like sort of taking education versus psychology I suppose Mm -hmm. or like yeah how did you make that decision that switch over yeah um I remember very um well Going into therapy, like I was telling you guys earlier, was not my first choice by any means. When I started grad school, I kind of fell into it and it just kind of enjoyed it and I stuck with it and it was very interesting. Um, but I definitely didn't make that my first choice. When I was in college my last year, I had to make a decision and, you know, the Asian in me came out and said, oh, I can't just graduate with a bachelor's. You know, everybody goes to grad school, so I, I have to find some way to get into grad school. And... Um, I happened to be at that same time I had to finish up some classes for a program at in college and it was there were social welfare classes that I chose and I think I was always very drawn to social welfare classes and since I had a choice I ended up choosing out of the selection I chose the social welfare ones and I really fell in love with the classes that I took it was maybe like two or three classes but the books and the and the discussions in the class were just so um, rich and just so interesting and fascinating to me and how dynamic um diversity can be and just it's just so interesting everybody's like family background their cultural background all of those things put together and then you throw in society and all those values it's just it's such an interesting topic of discussion so I said okay fine um, I really like social welfare I'm gonna go to school and be and do social work because I um, really want to make a change in this world it's you know something I somehow I wanted to find a way whether being a teacher being something else somehow to make a change in this world to make a difference um I was given a lot of opportunities growing up and um I I felt like it was a responsibility an obligation to take what I've learned and and to have this you know opportunity to have to take make use of all this education to be able to help others so I said okay let's do social work thinking that social work was going to be advocacy and like you know lobbying and and trying to right all these injustices in the world um and I ended up um 
how I chose grad school was I said I didn't want to leave Southern California. <laughs> and again, the Asian came out. There are only so many schools that were acceptable to me in terms of going there for graduate school. <laughs> how did USC even enter into your mind as acceptable, though? I mean, come on. Um, the Just key kidding. thing, the key thing, I, I do have to say how I chose USC, key thing was definitely not, the, you know, it wasn't a cheap um, tuition. The key thing was that it did not require the GREs. Oh, nice. Honestly, nice. honestly I'm just going to be honest, it wasn't even. You know, honestly, that's how I chose my grad school as well. <laughs> Pragmatism. People. I mean, I took it, but like. Yeah. I didn't do very well and I wasn't very motivated to study. Right. So I just said, you know, didn't require the GREs and, um, and it was a, it was a really high ranking. See, the Asian comes out. You know, it was really high ranking. It was a you know well known school. Um, and the Asian in me again came out and, and recognized that and kind of minimized the fact that it was an incredibly expensive tuition every year. Thank goodness it was only a two year program. And um, so I ended up choosing USC and went to USC and did not realize going in. I was looking at the ranking. This is why the Asian in you should be like, you know, checked. Because um, I looked at the ranking and did not realize after, until after I got into the program that it was a very clinical program. And at that point in my life, I had no idea what clinical social work was. Uh-huh. I just thought all social workers just do, you know, they just go and, and write like injustices. Right. You like like ride around on like white horses and yeah like, just like i will fix this yeah i'm gonna fix the, the world i'm gonna change the world world and peace everybody world peace and all of that so um yeah i did not realize it was a very clinical program had no idea what clinical social work was and um i was already in the program i was gonna finish it out so they make you choose actually your first year um what you want to do your internship in and it, it wasn't banking or jewelry. And it was not banking or, or jewelry <laughs> or anything like that. Um, it was, they had different concentrations. And so you could choose like public policy or you could choose mental health or children and families, they're different ones. And I ranked mental health as my last, last choice. Oh, wow. Last choice. There were like seven choices and it was literally seventh on my list. What does that even mean, mental health? I mean, like, I didn't know that term until I had to go, like, start looking at, like, doing research on that stuff for my doc. I think, like, in the Asian community, because, you don't, it's such a stigma, like, you don't talk about it, was, I don't want, I, I remember so distinctly when I made those rankings, I said, mental health, that is the last thing I want to do. I don't want, I'm Asian. I don't sit in a room and talk with people about their feelings. That just, we don't do that. I don't know how to do that. It's incredibly uncomfortable. I didn't talk about feelings growing up. We were not an affectionate family at all um in in that way and so you just don't talk I'm not gonna do mental health what yeah whatever that means you know like I I don't I'm not gonna do that um and and lo and behold USC puts you in your internship where you do not want to be oh oh really on purpose on purpose (gasps) the reverse wow there and I didn't know this I did not know this because I didn't know anybody who went to you know um, none of my close friends went into social work or went to USC and so I did not know this at all and my first year you see internship. that you see that they're liars <laughs> okay do they're not trust them <laughs> just a note though ucla's msw program also does that they definitely flip it really yeah then i mean shouldn't people know that by now like if you guys both know that like shouldn't people applying know that by now I feel like it's one of those like initiation processes I that agree. you just don't like tell other people going to the program because they're like, yeah, sucker. Like, oh. you know, like they just want you to experience it the way they did because a lot of times it does, you know, cause a change of heart. 
That's amazing. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think it's um, initiation, not not in the sense of you suckers. <laughs> I had to go through this, and so do you. It really was. Um, I, I appreciate kind of that that protocol that they go through to put you in there, and I don't think I would want to take that away from anybody. To yeah. you know, their their whole philosophy underneath that is why they do that is because they believe that and I agree that as a social worker you're going to be placed in situations where you're going to be uncomfortable that's just right. the nature of being in social work right. so if you want to be in this spot we're not going to make you comfortable we're going to throw you outside of your comfort yeah. zone because you have to do that as a social worker and so. that's kind of the whole point with just undergrad in general like why do you have all these requirements mm-hmm. for like say you were like you know a bio major like why do you have to take English classes and stuff mm-hmm. like that well you know it's because you want to be exposed to these things Mm -hmm. and like sort of maybe one of these things will sort of light something up in your mind Mm -hmm. or at the very least you know the subject matter will just sort of broaden your horizons Mm -hmm. you know and sort of make you I don't know a more tolerant person in some ways or I totally agree go down like you know you're like math or science rude and like with blinders on or something like that I totally agree I think I was I was talking to my friends um, uh, last month about um, she went to a liberal arts college and and you know I think until I had that conversation with her I never really understood what a liberal arts like education was right yeah because um, <laughs> I did not go to liberal arts school. <laughs> well, who really does know? I don't think liberal arts majors actually know. I just she you know and she's a very um, articulate person so maybe it was because of talking to her specifically that it helped me to really understand it. But a liberal arts education I always just understood you know you get a wider perspective. Right. Um, you're not honed and tracked and we're so used to getting tracked these days in education that um you know they force you to take other things other subjects that maybe you wouldn't necessarily go into on your own um but it's such a rich experience to be able to do that and the people and the conversations that you're exposed to and how that I think just fundamentally changes your mind and the way you see the world right yeah develops empathy and the ability to look through other people's eyes Mm -hmm. yeah yeah I think it's a great. I was like, after she told me, I was like, "Oh, now I kind of wish I would have gone to a liberal arts school too." But you know, at the time, again, it was the Asian that came out, and there were only so many schools that were acceptable. So interesting, even though interesting enough that even though my parents, you know, had this whole thing with, "Oh, do whatever you want with your life," um, it was like within the, you know, within the understanding that, yeah, do whatever you want within the UC system, <laughs> specifically like like UCLA or UC Berkeley, right? Um, oh. And maybe like you know like. Yeah, like, like you know, within that range. And, like, UC San Diego, you know, UC Irvine. Like, yeah, do whatever you want, but it's within the schools <laughs> that are acceptable within, you know. Right. Um, yeah, like, like yeah. Th- otherwise, it would just would not be. Like, what? We don't understand the name. We don't know the name. Like, that's, right. that's no. Like, that's not okay. So, when as you were um, getting into your field, like, and it's obviously, like you said, it's not what you planned. Did you have some sort of mixed feelings about it? Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, so many, so many. Because the first the first year they placed me um in internship, it was in a mental health facility, but it it wasn't like it wasn't an easy it wasn't that was not an easy ride. That first year was was borderline traumatic. Um <laughs> but so empowering afterwards when you realize that you can overcome, you right. know, that kind of um challenge. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger, I guess. Yeah, totally totally believe that. And it was such a great life lesson. It's um I like to look at things like when I go through things that are difficult, I think it's really how you like what you take from it. Right. And so even if it wasn't the best experience, it's an experience and it's a growing experience and it just makes you stronger. So totally agree with that. Um, I got placed in a mental health um, it was a mental health substance abuse um, uh, treatment center um, in East LA 
Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. And um, I had never been to East L.A. in my life. Um, I grew up. <laughs> little tiny Anita. Yeah. Steps out of her car. <laughs> steps out of the comfort zone. Way out of my comfort zone. I got placed and I just said, okay, I guess. I mean, they placed me here. It's It's got to be safe. Just make sure I leave before dark. And never been to East L.A. in my life. Had only heard horrible things about it from my parents. You know, it's just one of those places where it's ingrained in you. You don't go. You just don't it's, go. It's literally like. 20 minutes away from where we live though right yeah. I mean where we grew up but you bypass that area you know you you never go yeah, through East right. LA you just you bypass it you get on the freeway and you just don't don't stop in East LA <laughs> um and <laughs> I I had dark. huh especially after dark right um it's like my mom used to tell me driving through downtown Los Angeles which it's funny because she used to say, okay, drive, <laughs> drive in the middle of the road be- and lock the doors. <laughs> Somehow, like, <laughs> My grandpa totally told me that too. And like, Someone's I never. Someone's less likely to like. To open your you. doors. It just, I, I, it's never happened to me yet. Just drive in a serpentine fashion. <laughs> zigzag, zigzag. Windows up, you know, doors locked and middle of the road. It's a longer distance for people from the curb to come and attack you. Right. Um, and. With their fire. Fire bombs, apparently. Yeah, <laughs> apparently. But I, you know, like, I, and again, it's a, it's a testament to afterwards, you know, now as an adult, I mean, I've been to downtown Los Angeles so many times and I really appreciate what's there and I'll go at night and I really don't feel like threatened. There are certain areas that I probably wouldn't venture to, you know, after dark, but downtown LA has a lot of great things to offer and it's just so misrepresented, I think, through my parents' lens sometimes from what they see it as. But, um, it was the same thing with East LA and and I had never done drugs in my life nor knew people who did drugs in their lives. So going to a um, substance abuse mental health clinic like that was just really difficult. Huh? Oh, sorry. You can't see it, but I'm gesturing with my hands just like the the distance from which you had to travel to meet these people where they were. I mean, that must have been incredible. It's, it's definitely a very... Um, it's one of the things what that I love about social work is that it's very humbling. It's very grounding. You know, you can never, ever be on your on a high horse in any sense because you can't do the work that you do if you stay up there. And the clients that you work with force you to come back down to earth because um, the experiences that they go through and it was it was. I mean, just hearing some of the stories were were so intense. And how do you reconcile that? Like, someone has a particular experience and you're trying to help them. But you don't have that same experience that they do. I think it's it's um, anybody can provide that that empathy and that um, just being able to feel for that person, like being able to you know recognize that they've gone through a lot of adversity and um, being able to validate that that it was a difficult you know situation or situations or experience they've been through. I think we we are all as human beings capable of of doing that. And um, being able to help them work through it and to talk through it and just to be a, a listening ear. But it is difficult to, yeah. I, I think that was one of the challenges and what contributed to the mixed feelings in the beginning because mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't know, you know, how, how can I help them? That was definitely a question, yeah. you know. Me yeah. at like, I was probably like 22 at the time and I have these, you know, you know, ladies that come in in their mid-30s that have been, you know, through all sorts of abuse and have gone through all sorts of drugs, you know, and they end up in my office. And that was definitely a, a, a learning experience to um, go through a process of realizing I can help these clients right. because in the beginning I didn't think I could. Yeah. 
And I, I, one of the things I wanted to get to while talking to you, Anita, um, was based on one of our last conversations that we had a few years ago. And you'll you have a really never, good memory. I do. Like you'll never trust me to say anything around me because I just remember it forever. But That's I remember fine. one thing you said was that um, I mean, obviously, you're very successful. You're doing Thank great you. work, and I would love to be doing what you're doing. But I, I don't think I could like. I'm not good with numbers and statistics in my mind. And I feel like that's part of like a grad program for what you do. But anyway, um, I know that the last time we spoke or, you know, you, you said that oftentimes or at least, at least once or twice, like hanging out with your high school friends who are that sort of like doctor, you know, many doctors and all that stuff that you feel very, I don't know. I think it was stifled or like suffocated, like, that what you were doing wasn't living up to what they were doing in mm-hmm. a certain sense. Like, is that something that sort of like, you know, maybe five years later you have totally reconciled with and you don't have those feelings anymore? Or what's up? What's, what's up? <laughs> what's up? What's up? Tell us now. Um, yeah, I think, I think, um, I, I've reconciled that. There are days, you know, like I, you know, my friends are all very, um, financially successful. So like, you know, in days when I'm looking at my, like, checking account, and I'm like, oh, man. Um, so they're bankers? <laughs> they're not bankers. Bankers oh. and jewelers. <laughs> they're not bankers and jewelers. Although, if I ever had a change for questions, I would look into that jeweler thing, because right? that does sound pretty fun. Yeah. You not the banker part. You have specialized skills, man. Yeah, just have really good eyes and, you know, uh, you know uh, attention to detail. I, I could do that. Not banker, but I could do the jeweler thing. I could do the jeweler thing. I'm a social worker. I can do anything. <laughs> You're just going to ride in with your white horse and like <laughs> like do therapy with a kid while you're doing these oh, jeweling yeah. things. Yes. Yeah. Just my ability to multitask. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to get us off track. <laughs> um, yeah, I've definitely reconciled that that piece. Um, and, you know, I, I think what's what's interesting is is um, when I talk to people about what I do, it's I get a lot of responsive, you know, you you. You do a lot, and and it's that's so great what you do and, and everything. Um, but I also think that what's missing in that equation is how much I get back from the people that I work with, and how much I can like how much they teach me, because mm-hmm. um, they've gone through so much adversity, and I don't. And compared to them, I don't feel like I've gone through even like a, a tenth or a twentieth of that. And it's just so humbling, and they just teach me about like how resilient the human spirit can be and just so many things um and so going through that and being able to learn so much from them I think that's helped me to reconcile that piece like I feel like this is such a it really is such a rewarding job not rewarding just in the sense of it makes me feel good that I can help people um but it's so rewarding because of how much I get back um without I think I think sometimes without even my clients realizing that they give this to me um they think I'm helping them and and it's a you know it's vice versa it's reciprocated but they also, and I make a note to tell them too that they teach me so much, and I think that's so valuable that um, I'm okay when right. when my checking account is, you know, or I, when I'm shopping and I can't buy something because um, my salary can't support that. But um, but the meaning par- meaningful part of it, yeah. I think a lot of it comes down to how do you measure success? Mm-hmm. You know, is it only monetary? Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of times that's what we're taught 
mm-hmm. you know, by families or society or community or whatever? Is it like, you know, how many figures your income is mm-hmm. or um, the prestige, mm-hmm. you know, and that's kind of what being a doctor sort of all has rolled into one. Mm-hmm. Although, I don't know, people tend to tell me that like when you're a doctor, you're paying off your loans for quite a long time. Yeah. Um, Just really to quick, quickly speak to that too, like, Um, I mean, I remember telling my family that I was going to grad school and like they were so proud of me, Mm -hmm. not realizing that it was like film school, grad school. (laughs) And like to me, like art school degrees are like not like ROI, right? There's not a lot of return for your investment. Mm. And, And but the idea of going to grad school is still so highly regarded within the community that it didn't even matter. And then. You know, like, it's just it's just one of those things that they're like, oh, well, look at you. You're going to grad school. You know, like, mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, film school, <laughs> <laughs> you know, under my breath, kind of like, you know, quietly crawling and like making a movie and becoming more and more in debt all the time. You know, like, it's like one of those things that's so like the success is like weirdly, uh, weirdly uh, measured, you know, mm-hmm. like because I feel like sometimes like. Like, sometimes they'll concede, like, they being, like, family or, like, the community, they'll concede certain things. Like, oh, you're doing social work, but you got a degree. You got a second degree. Mm-hmm. Look at that. You know, like, there's, there's, this was this weird measuring that happens with success in the community. Or, like, yeah, prestige, I think, is almost more than money sometimes, I mm-hmm. feel like. Even if you weren't, like, a lawyer, but you were doing, like, you had a high standing in the community as, like, a... Like you're like chairman of the school board, mm. like that that might mean something, you know. But at the same time, um, I think from my parents at least, not from my parents actually, but from my family, their thing wasn't so much like like financial success and how many figures, but if you could live comfortably, mm-hmm. you know, not and, and not just comfortably, they just didn't want us to struggle. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. I totally get that and. And then we just kind of threw it in their faces. And <laughs> I mean, like, are, did your did your parents uh, grow up in the states, Anita, or like, you know, like, what what were the, some of the what were the things that they were doing when they were growing up, and like, you know, like, you know, what helped shape their idea of what do you think helped shape their idea of like what would make Anita Kwan my daughter successful? Um, I think for them, they both my parents um, grew up you know, um, struggling. I mean, they, they, um, my, both of my parents are in the garment industry. And so they've been in the garment industry for like their entire life. Uh, my mom's a seamstress and my dad is a pattern maker and he continues to be a pattern maker to this day. Um, so it was a, like a working class, you know, family and, and they struggled in their own families growing up. Um, and I think that really ingrained in them this sense of like, you know, you, yeah, just, just, just have enough to, you know, save up a little bit it does not have to be an extravagant lifestyle and they really I think because of that don't place value on that extravagance like as long as you're a good person and you're happy um money to them really isn't and never has been an um an important thing you know as long as again you're a good person you you are making the right choices in your life and you're giving back and and all of that that to them is so much more valuable and I think because my dad instilled that in both my brother and me growing up um I never you know felt like there was a pressure to have monetary success and that as long as I was giving back and I was doing something that was like good and kind of like right in the world um that I knew they would see that as my parents would perceive that as as successful and they wouldn't be, you know, be embarrassed or ashamed. Like they're very proud of, you know, what I do. They're very proud of what my brother does. And um, 
And that's always helped. And, and my friends, you know, like, um, I think that's part of the reconciling too, is that it was so much like in me, like kind of my own self-esteem and my own feeling like I wasn't like up to par. Um, when all that time, like my friends have never like, like that's never even been an issue in our, in our friendship at all. And, and you know, they've always been so encouraging. They're always so supportive. And I think over the last couple of years, it's been kind of reconciling within myself. That's where the journey had to be like reconciling within myself that, okay, I am okay with this because there was a lot of things that I was perceiving in my head of, you know, just gosh, you know, I don't, I don't feel successful and, and being able to reconcile that and being able to have that self-esteem and to feel like, okay, like this is, I, I like what I do. Yeah, so like a journey within myself that I had to take. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I am still struggling <laughs> with that. But I have to say, like, I think when I was 25 is when I was making, like, the most strides with that sort of reconciliation of, you know, how do I measure success? And does it match my parents' ideas of success? And it clearly doesn't. So am I just a total failure and I'm going to be a total failure for my whole life? Or is there another way of measuring success? You know, like, is there something that I have to make for myself? Like, you know, a ruler for myself of like, you know, like being a good person and giving back to the community. Like, you know, having a life where I have time, you know? And of course, a lot of these things are sort of the... um they're not they're sort of like how do you say it you're not I'm not struggling as hard as my parents did you know I'm not starting from scratch like my parents did so of course I'm sure they would like to have that as like you know their barometers of success as well but because they're the immigrants you know and they started with nothing and had to build everything from absolutely nothing you know they are going up against a lot greater odds you know and just understanding that the two cultures, or I'm sorry, the two generations are different and not having to beholden myself to the previous one mm-hmm. and not having to feel guilt over it and just allowing myself to be like, you know, being okay with how I live my life and what with my career and all that stuff. I mean, I think that's still a very big struggle still, but I think I made probably the biggest headway like slightly post- post uh graduating from college what about you Vanessa uh no I I really love like the discussion that's happening because I think that you know that's just the process of growing up like figuring out you know contentment um with your life choices and not like oh it's I'm settling for this thing or that it's like you really want to own those things that you do and um like and I talk about like my family wanting like you know comfortableness I think really under under that and at least like stated too was that when they wanted us to do something they wanted us to do it 100% like don't half-heartedly do something like that and so in that sense like I feel good for like living up to that at the same time um I know that um they want me to save more one but two in it's definitely inside of ourselves that the most of the battling happens because I remember, you know, going to a place like Arcadia High and knowing that I'm in like the top third, but the bottom of the top third and that bothering me, you know, you know, that's going to be something with me for the rest of my life. And even to this day, like I have a tendency to compare myself to my peers. I don't, I don't compare myself to like, you know, an apples to oranges. Like I'm not like, 
oh, look at that lawyer friend of mine and how much dough he's going to be making, you know, compared to me where, you know, like, I'm lucky if I'm going to ever have a mortgage one day. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, have, like, good enough credit to, like, go out and get myself a house. You know, that's not my struggle. It's 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 about um, the success within the field that I'm in. You know, like, am I trying hard enough? And, like, you know, like, those everyday things that you have to tell yourself, you know, like, like uh, for me and in being in this industry, you have to tell yourself you signed up for this. The struggles that you have to go through, the stress, you know, like the the work that doesn't stop. You don't like you don't get to shut off, you know, on the weekends. Sometimes you're shooting, sometimes you're you're doing other things. Like for me, like um, you know, when I come home from work, I'm working on my movie. Do you know what I'm saying? You know, like in those in between moments, I'm not allowed to like rest in the same way that other people are not. But even then, it's kind of like. Um, like I see my classmates, like one of them just got signed to like a big talent agency as a director. And that's huge. Like they use their feature film to like go out and do something. And it's like, oh, I want to be doing something, you know, like, and our struggles might not necessarily even be like, oh, I wish I was making this kind of salary. It could be like, well, I would love to, you know, like say it was social work, like, like I'd love to achieve by, you know, becoming management or doing this or that or, 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 you know, like even in being in that, that, that sense of advocacy, like changing the world or, or, and for me, it's like, I want my movie to get out there and like be seen by people. But, you know, I think that like the day, the things that I tell myself every day are like, you know, like your path is your own, you know, like you definitely have to make your own choices and then just, yeah, like you, like I said, own them and, and, and follow up with them. So, you know, um, I'm not necessarily going to be, um, this, this, uh, this completely amazing filmmaker who's going to be making like, you know, things that are blockbusters, but like whatever it is that I happen to do, it has to be something that I'm invested in like a hundred percent. And that, and that to me is the measure of success. That to me is what, you know, like that internal battle. So am I living up to myself in a lot of ways? That's the question. And, you know, like, um, and sometimes that's the harder question, right? I don't know. Anyway, it takes a long time like for you to mature and to become like an independent person from, you know, your family and your community that a lot of these things that we're saying very easily now, it's sort of like taken so long to really resonate and really, you know, really mean something to us. Whereas if I said this to myself when I was 17 years old, I don't think. I would even have any clue about what I meant, you know, about like measuring your own success and stuff like that. Um, because things are so cut and dry back then. And so like, you know, plan A, plan B, plan C, here are the three options you have. And the, this is the way that you do those things. You work really hard. You choose one of these professions and you go full force at it. You get straight A's, et cetera, et cetera. Where it's like, you know, with the, the benefit of having hindsight it's like you know i don't know i agree 
I have a question for us. I, I think like one thing that I do do that is maybe not as healthy, but I just don't know like if it's just part of the process, but it's like to like poo poo other people's things. Do you know what I'm saying? Like there's some people who I have seen my friends like follow very specific paths in life. They're like, well, by this day, like by this age, I'm going to do this. And by this age, and it has to do with following a very conventional. I, I know who you're talking about. <laughs> I'm not talking about anybody specific. I mean, a lot of our friends have decided like to, um, you know, like, I need to get married by this age. I need to have kids by this age. I need to like have a career that like will support that. Like I need to have an uh, an IRA and a 401k, like whatever, whatever, right? And like so they've hit these things. And like for me I'm like, mm, look at me. I'm like so adventurous. I'm like, you know, like living life on the edge. But then I don't know. Like I feel like the um the actual process to like reject those things, like how do I not detract from like what other people have decided for themselves do you know what i'm saying have you guys had do you know what i'm talking about like how to not be judgmental i think it all comes down to like why are you being judgmental or are you being judgmental to validate yourself you know and if that's the case then maybe you need to think a little bit more about yourself and are you really happy or do you need to make yourself more secure about your your path i suppose um and I think I definitely fall into that like I definitely go like oh that person you know in 10 years they're gonna be divorced or whatever (laughs) and all that stuff (laughs) or like you're gonna have some kind of like breakdown and go crazy or get cancer or whatever you know but like I mean my most enlightened self like the way that I that that part of me would respond to that would just be like hey that's them and if they're happy Mm -hmm. then that's great for them and I wish them the best and um and that's their path, mm-hmm. you know, and it's completely different from mine. And if they're a friend, then I love them mm-hmm. and I want them and to happy be happy for them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. But I think it's, I think it's, um, yeah, I think it's, it's about accepting that somebody else's path and, and, you know, it's very different from like your own path and that they don't have to be, and they're kind of like, they're kind of mutually exclusive and they don't have to be. Um, intertwined anyway and and that if you're kind of happy with the path that you're going on um, it doesn't mean that you can't be happy that for somebody else in the path that they're going on because I have friends you know who um, yeah who 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 are classmates and friends who have uh, this uh, deadline for themselves in a sense of of you know where they want to be in life and and that's not where that's not how I see it but when I say that I, I I don't put value on it either like, I don't put value on, like, oh, mine is better or theirs is better. Like, I think ours is both equally great because it's our own life and it's our own path that we have to take. Um, but I think it does it does take – I mean, it's like the last conversation I had with April, right, about mm-hmm. me kind of reconciling that. It's taken years to kind of really reconcile that because I think along that way, you all just have to find out who – I have to find out who I am myself and what I want in my life and being able to accept and be okay with that because I think that's part of that, that like – maturity process too growing up I think I definitely agree with that you hit like a I think a couple of years ago I kept referring to this like quarter-life crisis that I was having where I was feeling like you know well, other people are are getting married and they're they're so successful and I, I, I I'm not doing that I'm not doing that like it makes me feel really bad about myself and um, am I not being successful and questioning and doubting myself um, but over the years I've you know come to that reconciliation where I've decided okay you know that's that's where they are and that's really sincerely awesome and this is where I am and it's sincerely awesome too um 
because growing up you just it's very black and white you don't you're not used to this gray area and our parents are so I'm so used to my parents telling me you know this is how our school's telling me you know this is the path that you're going on you know getting tracked in school um this these are the grades that you need to have this is the path that you need to take and then when after you hit college you really come to this realization that you get to choose things in your life at this point like I can do this but I can also do that it's such a like freedom that I don't know what to do with it and then I think it's where all those questions come in of like whoa I have all this freedom and and people have always um you know told me what to do and so now that I can choose these things for myself I'm not I'm not sure what to do with it. And that's where like, I think it kickstarts that journey of finding out who I am and what do I want in life. And I don't think you hit that until, yeah, like after college or after you're done with school, which is probably around like 25 or wherever that may be. Um, and just realizing that the things in my life that people, that, you know, and taking all of that, all those experiences and realizing, oh, the things that my parents told me in the, you know, when I was growing up, like, you know, drive in the middle of the road when you're driving down <laughs> downtown Los Angeles and keep the doors locked. You know, it's like, no, I don't have to do that. And then it's that like snowball effect of realizing what else did they tell me that I, that I can start questioning and doubting and experiencing, Uh-oh. you know, <laughs> you go down that like path and, and I, you know, and that, and that guilt, I always call it Asian guilt, but I guess maybe it's like a, it's like a generational guilt, you know, just right. your parents, um, like making you feel not you know not my parents making me feel guilty but I'm feeling guilty for things that but I put that on myself right and then um coming to real you know coming to that that part where I start separating and I start deciding like okay that's those are their values and what are my values because right. they've always been like aligned you know right. like my parents values are always my values and right. what they think is what I think and what right. they do is what I do <laughs> and then when you start realizing well some of these things that they think I don't agree with and it was such a like um such a point of contention between like my dad and me with that and just being able to accept okay well we can agree to disagree what, what age did that kind of occur oh that probably oh that probably occurred like around um can you still hear me yeah um i would say maybe like 25 like i would say like um after grad school during grad school um and there were just a lot of things that that i started realizing oh i don't know if i agree with that and then thinking, oh, maybe I can think about it this other way or try it this way and it'll be okay. And yeah, I would say about like quarter life, quarter yeah. life crisis. It was a rough period. Right. Yeah. Rougher than my teenage years, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I think we did it, you guys. We did. I do have like one more question, like maybe just to like round it out because okay. we didn't get any audience questions per se. Oh, I was going to ask one. Oh, okay. Um... Well, what I wanted. Well, are you done? Are we done talking about this topic? I think we did a great job and concluded in a very nice way. Well, um, I would like us. We can either end the time or just start it now. But like one thing that you did to kind of reconcile. We talked about reconciling, and one thing I noticed is that you you started to like, like say, my instead of saying my parents made me feel this way or think this way, like you're saying, you know what, it was something that I had to train or choose to not to do anymore but like what's what's another thing like from each person here like that you you know use to like to you know like what's an example like that you would give um well because i don't know what you're asking so i'm wondering if you can give it right i guess like one thing that like you do differently now to reconcile the path that you've taken and the one that you thought you were supposed to take, I guess. And for me, 
um, I guess the fact that I chose documentary and like, I feel lucky in this sense is that like I live and breathe documentary and the way that it, it makes me feel, it makes me just like really excited to be alive and, and I can't not do it. Like even the way that I approach people and ask questions like that to me is documentary and it's not just about the the filming of it but the discovery of another person in their world and so that's what like keeps me alive and like gets me excited and on a bed and 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 the fact that I have a career now which is like currently like in reality television doing post-production like that's secondary to the the main drive of my life like that's actually a way for me to just make money within my industry and stay sharp and to build skills that I don't usually have or to like make connections. But like the other parts of me, you know, like, like I said, like I found out that I live and breathe this thing. So I need to keep doing it and, and, or find other ways to keep doing it. Um, if it's not exactly like I'm out there with a camera. So that's one way that, um, if you know that you love something to keep doing it, but I mean, mean, like how do you separate What's something that you've decided on your own as an adult that separated you from what your parents have taught you? Is that what you're asking? Yeah, I guess like, you know, like we all like make a choice at some point to um, do something differently. Yeah, to do something differently, to uh, to find career paths that like may not make our family or community like especially proud of us or happy or something like that but we do them anyway because you know we've decided to like take responsibility for does that make sense yeah do you have something An- anita question end with it's so uh deep <laughs> <laughs> well this i don't think that this really relates to a career per se mm-hmm. i think it just relates to how i live my life but something that I've had to t- teach myself to do as an adult is to go easy on myself and forgive myself, you know, be compassionate, be compassionate toward myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like not demanding perfection every second of the day and feeling crappy because I don't meet that mm-hmm. all the time. I think just sort of going easy on myself and I have a, you know, a lot of friends who say, oh, go easy on yourself, <laughs> you know, when I, uh, I get down on myself um, for certain things. I don't know. I mean, like sometimes like right now I feel like, I don't know if I should say this, but like look for another job <laughs> or, you know, I have interest in other fields. And so, you know, I'm thinking I should really, really, you know, hit, you know, um, uh, job websites and stuff like that and but sometimes I don't want to you know and sometimes I'm tired and I don't really feel like it and then I'll just wake up the next morning feeling really disappointed in myself for not like taking advantage of every second of every day to like you know move my life forward in a certain way with my career but then some other days I'm just like it's okay it's okay to not be productive every single second of the day you know just like allow yourself to enjoy the time that you have and I'm sure you know my life is pretty easy now I'm just single you know no kids or anything like that my job is you know pretty standard 40 hours a week job and I don't have the pressure that requires me to like make more money or you know something like that 
but for now I can allow myself to like not criticize myself so much and expect something all the time I don't know what about you does that make sense I think so it makes sense when you guys say it and then when it comes time for me to think of something I'm like I can't think of anything um I agree with that I think I think that you don't always drive in the middle of the street (laughs) <laughs> I don't yeah I don't think yeah, we've taken that away is I don't always drive in the middle of the street and I've um um definitely felt more comfortable and what's the word um motivated and and willing to take risks in my life I think the last couple of years after coming to that reconciliation of just I'm gonna live this life for me like kind of really coming into my own and 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 fully recognizing that this is my life and um, I'm going to be responsible for it. And um, whether other people agree with me or disagree with me, like I'm an adult, I have my own values and and what I feel is right and wrong. And um, as long as I'm true to who I am as a person, um, at the end of the day, like I need to be compassionate to myself and and be okay with it and try to remind myself that I can block out other people's judgments of me because at the end of the day, I know who I am and I'm proud of who I am. And, you know, that's not going to change. Yeah, like the more I think about it, I'm just like, man, life is long. Yeah. Life is long and it's important to be kind to yourself. Oh, yeah. Because you have to live with yourself every single day. Mm -hmm. And if you have someone who's criticizing you in your head all day long, that's a sad life. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, there are good motivators like, you know, um, if you want to achieve a goal, like you got to work hard, Mm -hmm. you know, but there are also bad motivators and... I don't know. Life is short, man. Life yeah, is long I and agree. short. It's like, mm-hmm. it's long because it's like, God damn, it's long. But like, <laughs> it's also short. So, I don't know. Life is life, I guess. Well, you got to make the most of it, you know? Like, you got to kind of make the most of the life that you have. And what's what sucks is that, like, obviously, like, you can't accelerate some lessons, right? Like, right. like April's like, yeah, if I told myself at 17, like, and true, like, there's just no way... I would have known that I would have taken this path. Yeah. And like, like even with a movie, like I always tell people, if I had known what it would have taken to make this movie, like I just would not have done it. Like, dude, like you just don't know what you're getting into sometimes. And that ignorance is great. Like that ignorance mm-hmm. of like not knowing what's next and, and, and then having to come out through it. But like, at least like now that we are where we are, like 30 or 31 or 29 forever, whatever that may be, <laughs> you know, like we get to look back on some of these times so that whatever comes like it's not gonna be as as bad as that quarter life crisis until it is and you know like in that we've survived that like you survived that like traumatic first Mm -hmm. year you know and and i think we can always like point to those moments of survival that just like help us like say yes i learned something because i think that's one thing Okay, sorry, I'm I'm breaking my rule and I'm I'm saying something, but I think one thing like and, and it goes along with like forgiving yourself is but like marking progress, right. and that's important for me is to say like have I changed? Mm-hmm. And even if I haven't, like I think there's you know there's the days that you you act on the best parts of yourself, mm-hmm. and there's the days where you just don't feel like you are. But you know, forgiving yourself when you're not able mm-hmm. to do that, but also like triumphing in those moments when you're like wow you know like I've come a long way Mm -hmm. from that time that I was feeling that thing or that I was you know doing that thing to myself like just you know saying lies to myself or like or judging others or whatever it might be that you needed to like get through that moment Mm -hmm. yeah yeah 
like the paradigm shift in your head when you just mm-hmm. go, aha. Mm-hmm. I think like, you know, maybe it's like the therapist in me coming out too is I think about it's the process. <laughs> I want that like, therapist to come out of you all the time. <laughs> <laughs> like it's appreciating that process, you know, so whether it be it was a good or bad experience and like, you know, going through making the documentary that you made and even though it was really difficult, like it's the process. The worst, but yes. The worst, the but process. you know, but it's like a double-edged sword. Like it's the worst process, but at the same time, like how much, you know, you grew from that experience and how much you learned about yourself and, and, um, what an, just like, what a good experience to have that you can kind of be like, oh, like I went through this and I made it. Like it's the process. It's the process. do the whole like Kiersey thing I don't know I'd like Vanessa to guess I know I had fun with the last episode where like we guessed each other's like stuff I mean obviously Anita can't take it right now but maybe we'll do like a follow-up later but guess um I'd have to say that she's probably either an INFJ or an ENFJ um which is uh <coughs> like that those excuse me yeah have no meaning to me right, right? Now, the, so the infj is known as the counselor the enfj is known yeah, yeah. more as the teacher yeah a- april's an um infj i'm an enfp which is the champion so you know like the way that my personality expresses itself is like very like advocate like we we get excited about things when we share it and we want to like champion that cause or that one. But for like April, um, as a counselor, like she sees the good in people and wants to bring it out of them. And, um, so I feel like, uh, in our conversations, um, there's that aspect that I think you might be. Yeah. But I can't tell if you're more extroverted or introverted. My sense is that you're more introverted. Like that. What is an ENFJ? What's that called? Oh, the ENFJ is called the teacher. And um, so it's like the counselor where they see the good in people, but it's on a larger scale where, you know, they see a group and they kind of want to like build the dynamic of the group and what the potential of the group is. Because it's all about like human potential and then like trying to like foster that and mentor that. Yeah, exactly. Wait, did you just use a business term? Was that from (laughs) USC? Is that a banker term? I'm going (laughs) to... Anything or jeweler term. bad that comes from your mouth. I'm going to say it's for USC. No, I'm just kidding. But like, um, yeah, I, I'm wondering um, when you recharge, are you more, um, do you like to just be alone or do you like to be in a group? Um, I think being a group, I've been told I'm an extrovert. Like I, I, I thrive off of other people's. Like even if maybe in that group, I'm the one that just sits there and I listen or I'm kind of quiet. I may not be the life of the party, but I think being around other people's energy is, is good for me. It's very do enlightening. You, do you like meeting new people? I do. I think it's, I love hearing other people's stories and like just how their brains and minds work. Do you um, like small talk? small talk like how's the weather and traffic yeah like say you're mingling at a party do you like not really i'd like to i'd like to start with that and then maybe get into something hopefully a little bit deeper than you know what you're doing where you're from yeah i yeah i don't know i because i'm kind of that way too like the way that you described like i like being around people Mm -hmm. if i don't have to talk Mm -hmm. but i don't like being around people if i have to like i don't want to be the life of the party yeah I want to just be the observer. But does it help you like recharge to like be around people and to like be doing something like this? Like after this, April's going to be exhausted. Like, April's <laughs> going to like just curl up into a little ball. We won't talk for a little while. And I'll just like, she'll be on her phone and I'll be like doing my work or whatever, whatever happens, happens. Right. But then it's like, that's, 
it's like it's draining you know no I don't think it's draining to me I think it's recharging to me because then I probably will leave her thinking about like what was said and then I kind of mull over things in my head and then it like you know like maybe like new synapses are being formed to my brain and I'm like oh I never thought about it like that or oh I didn't realize that and kind of try to make something of it and Mm. and piece it together yeah so that's I I don't think it'll be draining to me okay um and I think she could go either way oh but I think I'm just so mysterious teacher can't predict what do you think I agree. I, I feel like, I mean, like, I know that's, like, very ironic that, like, that was, like, the thing you used to want to do, too. <laughs> but then, but then, yeah, I see that, like, that extroversion, like, the um, kind of, like, it's, like, introverts can be this, too, but there's, like, effervescence. Mm. So then, so then there's that. And then the NF, it's, I, I think you're an NF, which is... Intuitive and feeling. Yes, intuitive and feeling, oh. which means you're, like, um, an abstract feeler, so the way you communicate is more abstractly. So you like metaphors and anecdotes and things like that. And then versus like a concrete approach to the world, which is very like, like what, yeah, very like, uh, things that are tangible and concrete. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, um, feeling like in the sense that you make your decisions with your feelings, but it helps you be a more sympathetic person. Mm -hmm. I know that there's T's out there that are social workers, but I think social workers tend to be more F's. Yeah. They, they make, Hmm. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Uh, now that you guys describe it, I'm kind of like I don't know. I could, I could go both ways. Yeah, you are kind yeah. of like a like I'm a just, borderline. I'm just unpredictable. Type yes. Not- <laughs> <laughs> well, you have all of those things. <laughs> there's definitely like a continuum that you can like be on too. Like, oh, okay. Like, like I'm uh, probably pretty strongly E and and F, and actually strongly ENFP. But then like April might be less um, strongly J. Like judging. she could, yeah, judging, mm. which also means the way she likes to structure her life. Mm. And it's very, it's very structured and it's very like, she loves things to be on time. She loves deadlines and things to be close ended where I'm kind of like spontaneous and more like whimsical, mm. which is like a positive way of saying I'm lazy. <laughs> but then, no, I'm just kidding. But like, uh, you know, like. Not I, lazy. No, I'm, it just was a joke. Often late. Be compassionate to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> often compassionate. late. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think, um, so that's what strikes me and you should we'll have you read the enfj description and maybe take a quick test on like what that might be but um yeah i bet i I bet it's gonna be fun to find (laughs) out i'm curious to know personality test well uh, lisa myers-briggs is like one of my faves (laughs) i'm obsessed i can tell (laughs) (laughs) sorry okay um do you have any questions from people um, I do not, unfortunately. Okay. I have a question. I feel like we've covered it, but I, I, I'm just going to ask it anyway because it relates to our topic. This question comes from um, my sister's friend named Manny. I don't know him very well, but we usually do like a three awesome things about whoever has asked the question just because they're awesome enough to um, do a tiny bit of work for us. <laughs> and... Um, you know, volunteer their questions. So here's one. Um, why do Asian Americans, and I think that you can also say Asians, push their children to be nurses, engineers, or doctors, just like their parents did to them, even though they may not have followed their parents' wishes? All right, that's a tricky question. Um, I think it's like, like if any of us had kids, and we force them to do a certain thing. Like, why would we make them do that if we didn't follow our parents' wishes to do what they wanted us to do? I don't know that how 
I can really relate to that because I don't know many people who have kids like at the age to like be making career decisions. I mean, the only child I know is like three years old. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking like, or maybe even thinking about not our, like maybe um, our grandparents telling our parents, you have to be doctors or you have to be successful, you know, and probably there's a monetary, you know, equivalent to that. Like monetarily you have to be this successful or financially you have to be this successful as an adult. And so even though maybe our parents didn't do that, you know, or didn't follow in that footsteps, then why do they still put it on us? I think, I think it's a, I feel like parents do that because it comes from, I'm just going to believe, I'm going to go on a limb and I'm going to say that it's, I'm going to be positive about this. I'm going to say it's because they care about their kids a lot. And, um, you know, obviously as a parent, you want for your child to have a stable life. You don't right. want your child to have an unstable and, yeah. you know, unpredictable life. And so these professions are, are stable. You know, right. they do have a high guarantee of, of yeah. um, that you're going to be financially stable. You're going to be successful financially and, and all of that kind of stuff. And I think for parents who are, especially immigrant parents who maybe didn't have that financial stability growing up or coming to this country as immigrants, it's so important that, you know, their kids have that. Right. Um, not for selfish reasons, but really because of because they're loving parents and they really want yeah. for their kids to um, have that stability. And this yeah. is the only way that they know how. Yeah. I think the closer you become to being a parent yourself, mm-hmm. you understand. You how know, parents think. Right. That yeah. pressure. It's not because they want their kids to be something that the kids don't want to be. Right. It's not because they want like the fame the or, the, or whatever. Right. Exactly. It's because they want their kids to live a happy life and mm-hmm. not to struggle the way that they did too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, just a quick answer. I think uh, it's wish fulfillment. No, I, well, <laughs> as, as a third generation, like, like, so my, you know, my parents, grandparents were, you know, already in the U S and, you know, um, let's see. Uh, yeah. Both sets of grandparents didn't go to college and, um, um, most of them finished high school. Some of them didn't, but a lot of them were like working pretty young, you know, and that sense of comfort is more, um, more there than the sense of like achievement and ambition. But, um, uh, I think like, so as a third generation, like my parents were very much about like, oh, we want you to be independent thinkers. And like, that's very different. Like they wanted us to own like our choices. Like, did you didn't think it through? Are you, are you, are you uh, doing the thing you would said you would do? Like follow through, that was really important. But then I think when I, when I have my children, my thing will be like, it will still be achievement based. Like I'll mm-hmm. still want to look for something. Like we, like we, have um my family we have like one great granddaughter right now so it's my sister's child and my niece and we want her to like be the smartest and be the most beautiful you know like there's certain things where your like assumptions come out now that the next generation Mm -hmm. is here and it's like oh well she's already like you know this percentile of like being able to like crawl or be you know like it's Mm -hmm. it's just like it's crazy like the extent of like you know like she's great in the water like she's better than that other baby in the water and we're like (laughs) yeah she's fearless there's there's things like i'm afraid of putting on my children but you know what like yeah that's i mean the hopefully the more i'm aware of that the more we can help (laughs) help ourselves change those things but you know like i mean it's good to have hopes for your kids Mm -hmm. you know there's nothing wrong but you know keeping keeping it within check i suppose right like i never want to think that high expectations are bad 
Mm-hmm. No, you know, yeah. high expectations can be bad, but it's got to be tempered by that compassion, right? And the nurturing and mm-hmm. the, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, the unconditional love. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Anita. You've been an amazing guest. Thank you for having me. Seriously. Thank you so much. And now we're going to go take the Kiersey's test. Excuse <laughs> us. <laughs> Bye. I should stop doing that. That's so annoying. But it's like your trademark. It's like the, you know, you've been doing that. You kind of have to keep going at it.